Welcome back, everyone, to the Friday Therapy Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jan Behrens, here with Logan Hubbard and special guest Jim from the tennis subreddit. You want to introduce yourself, Jim? Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Jim360 on Reddit, and I uh, mainly post about uh, team women's tennis right now. Um, um, yeah, that's basically what I do. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Yeah, I'd say Jim's a pretty notorious user for... Uh... Uh, he has a lot of good takes. I see this man in the comments section on quite a few post-match threads offering <laughs> his, you know, well-reasoned, opinionated takes and uh, yeah. definitely a notorious user. But yeah, well, I'd like to, to think show. famous rather than notorious, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. So, Jim, if you want to go ahead and uh, just tell us what you want to talk about today. Well, I was hoping to talk uh, about uh, the junior French Open uh, mm -hmm. but before I got to that I guess I wanted a little bit to explain why I even care about um, uh, teen uh, tennis and teen women's tennis right now in particular because it's a bit of a niche topic I'd say like um, uh, women's tennis on Reddit generally gets less attention than men's and teen tennis gets less attention than regular tennis for obvious reasons so yeah, I guess I wanted to start with why I even got there and uh, just to I guess segue into that I'm actually um, I, I'm British if you couldn't tell already uh, oh I thought was... I thought you were from uh, yeah Kansas but oh, yeah, really? that clears yes. it up yeah oh yeah, yeah. very strong accent. Kansas accent yeah <laughs> those yeah. Kansans <laughs> yeah so I was born at the end of the uh, late 80s so when I started watching tennis is mid 90s which as a British fan is quite a difficult time because uh, we had to put it with uh, Tim Henman always getting very close great player but he never quite made it to the to the final stages and we had to endure that year after year after year which was um, uh, quite depressing, I would say. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there was no one else around who was good at the time. I suppose Rosetsky, but he's Canadian-born. And no one on the women's side. And then Andy Murray comes along in the mid-2000s. And you watch him and he's a really good player. And he's making progress he makes the u.s open final 2008 he gets closer every year he makes this lovely there's this lovely sequence he did at wimbledon where every year he would always match or improve on his last year performance he yeah. did that for seven years running and then finally he makes the final in 2012 and we all know he lost it it's heartbreaking yeah uh but then after that, he wins the Olympics in style. That was a great moment. Uh, he wins the US Open. Then he... I mean, I could talk about the Wimbledon match for absolutely ages, but to put it not too far to point in it, it's my favourite sporting moment of all time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just to watch him cross the finish line there. The energy was amazing. But the real point of all of this is that I had to watch that transition from British tennis being basically average to finally being at the top of the world and it takes 18 years of my tennis watching experience mm -hmm. and then the worst part of it is he gets to world number one in 2016 and then he gets injured and he fades away and I just stopped caring about tennis 
after that like 20 year period of watching this man's career go to the top and then fall away it was heartbreaking when it seemed like he would retire at the end of 2019 and it's wonderful but he's back yeah but it's not really the same so i think i tuned in in the middle of wimbledon 2021 to see his return match just for the nostalgia value and then of course you hear about this young british woman who's reached the third round and you think oh here we go again mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever she'll she'll lose it's nothing special but then she wins the first set and i think at about this point i tuned in to watch that match when i think she plays some amazing tennis and the ebb and flow of that match is also wonderful. This is Emma versus Serana Kirstea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she won it, and it's another amazing moment because it's just like someone I've never heard of producing a performance like that, and I was you know, quite impressed. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch this this young woman's career and see what happens. <laughs> you know, yeah. in a few years' time, she'll be quite good possibly if she carries on playing like that and you know the rest of the story yeah i mean it's just just what even happened (laughs) i mean she made history and then kind of could not replicate what she did in in the u.s open unfortunately yeah the the stuff afterwards is obviously very sad but i suppose the the point i'm making about why I am so even amazed about it is as I was saying I was watching Andy Murray for like seven or eight years and then British tennis in general for ten years before that and Emma did what Murray did in like two months yeah (laughs) it's just uh, um, it's just remarkable and I think I sort of determined at that moment I came across some post by some other user I don't know who it was now I think the account was deleted even but this post by some other user on Reddit where they named a bunch of players they thought could be quite successful in the next year. And Emma was one of them. And you just think, you know what, maybe it's worth paying attention to what the up and coming stars are because like being surprised is cool. But following a career progression, even from mm-hmm. the very start, might be cooler still. You get to grow with that person. Yeah. Um, uh, or uh, in the case I've like the list of people I follow or keep an eye on now is probably grown to like 30 or 40 odd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I grow with like a huge family of people now but all the same just to be able to, ex- to to watch their progression to see the highs and the lows before anybody else really is paying attention yeah and then someone else gets surprised when this person for example, when L- Linda Fravertova plays at Miami and she beats Mertens and uh, Azarenka. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not the first person to have picked up on that player, but I'm certainly one of the earlier ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that performance came as a little bit of a surprise to me. I didn't think she was there yet, but everyone else is like, wow, who is this person? And then and I'm sitting there thinking, well, I could tell you, oh, she played uh, three junior tournaments against her sister, last year winning two of them she's <laughs> one of the f- third best junior player in the world uh, already won this tournament and that tour you know 
just having all of that knowledge to hand is the sort of thing I kind of obsess about. So, yeah, I kind of it's Emma who got me into junior tennis. That's the basic point. Um, and it's really sad about what's happened to her in the last few months, but I think she's going to get through it. And I think most most people will want her to succeed, even if it takes a little bit longer than we might have hoped. Yeah. So uh, would you say that you pay attention more to the girls' scene than the boys' scene like of, right. uh, of tennis? All right. Uh, right now, yes. All right. Um, and do you mainly follow British players, or do you follow, like, all sorts of nationalities of player um all nationalities, all nationalities. there are a, there are a few british players i might get to uh to sneak in and talk about later uh, mm-hmm. just to drop spoiler alert had a clugman and uh mimi Zhu are both worth watching but um they're quite a way off they're very young both of them so yeah we're talking four or five years before the rest of the world will notice uh and that's even assuming that things go well. Um, mm-hmm. Because at the other end of the story, you have Laura Robson is another player I probably could have mentioned in that journey of through British tennis. Because I saw her win the girls' singles at Wimbledon in 15, 14, 15 years ago. And then she has a whole bunch of amazing wins, but it never comes to anything because of injury. So these things aren't predictable, sadly. Yeah. Um, all right. I was going to ask a question. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, what do you think about, like, the pressure that younger players, like, have as they're coming up the chain of tennis? Like, I feel like the younger you are, the more people want you to really succeed and get something. Do you think this affects the performance of players? Uh, anything that you noticed that through your watching of tennis? I think it depends on the player and the nationality Mm -hmm. and the tournaments in question so for example uh when ever since she won the us open i think it's inevitable that there's a huge amount of pressure on it even if she doesn't acknowledge it there's expectation she's a target she has she can pretend that she has no expectations all she likes and to an extent i believe her but subconsciously it's going to play on your mind no question Um, um, oh, go ahead. Uh, on the other hand, you have someone like Leila Fernandez, who was also inspiring, and she has a different kind of pressure, I think, but it's a pressure which maybe comes of, you might say, not meaning this at all in a negative way, but you might say envy or jealousy or frustration, because she produced one of the, the all-time great slam runs, there's no question, at the US Open. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got only a final to show for it. And I bet that really grates with her. <laughs> and that will presumably take some of the pressure off because she knows what she's capable of. But on the other hand, there's less attention on her. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned something uh, during that part where you're just talking about how you got into women's tennis, about how, or not women's tennis, sorry, uh, youth tennis, um, about how um, it's just nice to see people like, develop into a good player and before I got into tennis I was like a huge soccer fan and I had a similar experience with uh, youth players in soccer and like following the uh, under 17 squads and seeing what players shine there and would eventually make the main squad and make a name for themselves I just think it's like one of the more 
fun things in sports to watch young players just develop into something develop into like the fullest potential themselves but it's also like on the other hand heartbreaking to see players that had so much potential and couldn't quite get there in the end hmm. yes absolutely um laura robson's definitely the more heartbreaking of the potential stories Mm-hmm. I, I I found a list of the players that she'd beaten and it's like a roll call of the greats from the last 15 years it's Venus Williams and Petra Kvitova and goodness only knows who else Kleisters, Lina but only some fourth only I use in inverted commas some fourth rounds to show for it and lots of injury and, no, no, uh, and nothing sadly to back that up which isn't her fault it's just how injuries go I suppose but yeah yeah you get to experience yeah, I think that's kind of a, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of a similar uh, sentiment to like here in the States when Donald Young was coming up uh, around a similar time. Uh, he was having lots of similar success to what you were describing and uh, he just kind of flamed out as well. He was the top junior in the world and he had a ton of expectations to be, you mm-hmm. know, the next great American player and uh, obviously that did not happen. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like that's a kind of a, a theme for you know every so often that happens it's you know I, I think someone also made a post uh you know where they saw here are the top 20 players and this is what they had as you know junior success and uh a lot of them you know they came on later so it's uh definitely interesting to follow the juniors and you can see you know where they're you know late bloomers or whether they're coming on early and if they're mm-hmm. able to continue that success. But I also kind of wanted to ask about uh, Emma's, since the U.S. Open, she's kind of been through a lot of different coaches, and either it's an inability, uh, whether working just like uh, differences in style, or just uh, she's unwilling to hold on to a coach for longer than a couple of weeks. So uh, do you think that if she settles down with a coach that this will be uh, something that can bring more consistency to her results? Well, certainly I was, I was surprised when she parted ways with Torben Belts. Um, without really being privy to what was going on behind the scenes, it looks a bit of a surprising decision because I'd have thought that this year she herself said that, you know, just getting through it is important. and Having some kind of stabili- stability or someone who's familiar with what's going on in the tour, I thought, would be important. So I'm surprised then that she... Um, and Torben parted ways, but it didn't seem, at least initially, to affect her too much. Uh, she got to the, what the quarters, the tournament before, when it would have been clear that the decision had been made, at least at her end. Uh, and then the third round at Madrid, uh, straight after. And then obviously injury affects her run at Rome, and uh, to a lesser extent uh, at the US, uh, at the French Open, even. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I think it it will probably do her good to settle with a coach, and I I wonder if there's some I don't know part of her team or uh, something which maybe is making decisions out of I'm almost tempted to say hubris, because you win a big tournament that fast. I don't know if you did. Uh, do you wonder if there was a moment where? She, they thought, oh, it's super easy, barely an inconvenience or whatever, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and forget that, not that it was a fluke, but it takes work to replicate that sort of thing. And 
maybe there's I don't know some part of that decision making progress which uh, uh, process which um, uh, uh, forgot what uh, how young and how new she is still to all of this and how important maybe stability is I, I don't want to dwell on it too much further than that because you, you, we, we'd be speculating about conversations we don't know and maybe there's some much better logic to the decision than it seems from the outside maybe there was something about what Torben was trying to do which just wasn't working well or, or, or something like that yeah, I mean, it's clear that Emma has, like, the skill set to go far. She, she is either, like, a mental issue or, like, she just can't put it together to yeah. to replicate her success. And I wonder if she just thinks that, like, it's the coach's fault that she's not able to put the things together. I don't really know. Well, I honestly think she'll be – I think she'll be fine. I think this is really her first, you know, full year competing on the tour. And uh, that's going to come with some growing pains. And uh, I think, you know, she was in school just last year, so – uh, as far as like a, a physical and fitness standpoint goes, it's going to take her a bit to get adjusted. So I, I do think she'll probably kind of round into better form uh, when the U.S. hardcore swing comes. And I think next year she'll probably be more successful throughout the beginning. I just think this is kind of a big adjustment for really anyone to make. And uh, she's kind of, you know, showing that that's tough for even a champion to make. Yes, and I think it's also a big adjustment for fans and for detractors as well, right? Because if you take away the US Open win and say, for example, that she gets knocked out in the quarterfinals, which would have been, I think, quite reasonable, Belinda Bencic really should have played better. Um, but leaving that to one side, if she makes the quarterfinals, it's like last year is her breakout season and this year is her first season on tour of what she's made the third round of... Uh, a Masters. She hasn't lost a first round match at a slam yet and she's played on clay for the first time and pushed the world number one quite hard and <laughs> like that would be an amazing first season for a complete rookie. Yeah. But for a slam champion it's it's not very good. There's no point in pretending otherwise and there's these weird competing dynamics like on the one hand you have to accept that she's still young and still learning and feeling her way around but on the other yeah we all have these huge expectations which uh, are inevitable and just need to be managed better for, from our end I think more than from hers perhaps. Yeah that's a good point. Yeah the other thing is she's gonna kind of be uh, inseparably linked to Layla, I think, probably for oh. at least a couple more years, maybe throughout their whole career. And you can kind of look yeah. at what Layla's doing, and she's doing obviously much better. Uh, but, you know, that's just, it's it's person-by-person, case-by-case basis. So mm. just because Layla's doing better right now doesn't mean uh, Emma's not going to get back on track. But, yeah. yeah, I'd love to watch Layla, too. She's such a great fighter. Oh, uh, Obviously having great results right now. So, yeah. Absolutely. Like I say, great one of the great slam runs of all time. What was it? Um, Osaka, Kerber, Svitolina, Sabalenka in that order. Uh, fifth, uh, no, third seed, 17th seed, uh, fifth and second or something like that in a row. I mean, from uh, someone outside the top 70, that's amazing. But I think part of the reason she's doing better right now is precisely because she lost in the US Open. <laughs> yeah. Like, because... There's no way she isn't angry at that. In a in a healthy way, I'm not criticizing Layla for being angry at all. She should be kind of frustrated that she 
was denied a, a prize which in normal circumstances probably ought to have been hers. Any other opponent in that final? You put like Zachary or Benchich at the other end of the net. Layla wins, I think. <laughs> well, Zachary would uh, definitely not be winning an important match anytime <laughs> soon. I, I think yeah. we can all I'll be comfortable with that knowledge, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feel sorry for Zachary, but all the same. She needs better mental strength. And, but, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, Layla's very fun to watch as well. I find it surprising. Like, every time you watch her, she's losing and then she wins. I don't quite understand how that happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she just has that pattern where yeah. she'll win the first set. And then her level will drop and lose a second, and then she'll get down in the third and come back and win. It yes. happens like every time she plays a good player. I don't know, it's just amazing. Mental strength. Unbelievable. Okay, so do we want to go ahead and get into the actual junior draw, and you can kind of go through and uh, tell us about some of the players and you know who you think are going to come out victorious in some of the sections? Yeah, so I, I wrote a very detailed post about the uh, uh, previewing the, women, the, the junior uh, girls French Open. Uh, so basically I'm just going to refer to that quite heavily. Um, just to introduce our uh, um, protagonists a bit, um, the player at the very top of the draw, the junior number one is Petra Marchenko, and I'm going to start with her because uh, I've actually met her, which was quite exciting. She was in a tournament in my hometown, or where I'm living right now, I'm, uh, which is Zagreb in uh, Croatia. Mm -hmm. um, she was there at a tournament. Of course, she, uh, she's a Croatian herself, so she gets a wild card into it. And she got to the semi-finals, quite a big tournament at this level at least, and it was amazing watching her come through. Um, she was a set in a breakdown in the first round, if I remember correctly, and then came back to win. So definitely very good. Um, I'm hesitant to call her my pre-tournament favorite because this is one of the strongest uh, possible junior fields, at least of the current age. So we'll go through a few of the other players to come. But it's hard to, like, Anyone who wins this tournament either is Petra or has to beat her. I think that's the best way I could put it. She's in mm. re remarkable form uh, lately. Um, it's sort of been spoiled a bit lately because she uh, has started to meet slightly stronger opponents. She faced one of her first top 100 opponents a couple of months back and lost very narrowly. Uh, and then she faced a top 100 opponent uh, a couple of weeks ago and won that. So she's making massive progress, only 16 years old as well. So still a way to go in her career. But yeah, she's at the top of the draw and uh, she's already won her first round match. That's another thing to say about this. Uh, they started the tournament today. So most of the first round has finished. Um, mm -hmm. Luckily, most of the people I wanted to win have won, so that's good. I was getting quite nervous at some point. We'll talk about why in a, uh, later. But yeah, Petra's through. That's good. Um, uh, so second in the... Uh, the second seed was uh, Sophia Kostoulis from Belgium. Uh, she was runner-up in the Australian Open. Uh, lost to Petra Marchinko, uh, in fact. 
Um, but she lost her first round. She got a very tough draw against someone who really could very well have been seeded herself. Uh, nasty first round opponent. Uh, so Sofia Kostoulis is out, but in a very narrow match. <coughs> and that's uh, the bottom of the draw. So I guess working from... Should I work through in seeds order or through the draw order? That's a very interesting question. Hmm. Uh, probably yeah, the, draw, you want. the draw order, just so we can see who would play against each other. Okay, so draw order then. The next big person to look out for who might play Petra in the third round is Nikola Bartunkova, who is from the Czech Republic. You're going to hear that quite a lot in this section. Czech Republic is incredible for producing uh, junior women's talent. Uh, not totally a surprise, because what they've got Kvitova and uh, uh, Karolina Pliskova and several other top players right now. And you can also think back to, uh, um, I guess, uh, uh, Navratilova, right? Who used to be from Czechoslovakia. Anyhow, Nikola Bartunkova is the uh, uh, next name in the list. Uh, she's uh, ranked about the same in the WTA rankings, actually, as Petra is. So if they do meet, it could be a very good match. Um, they're both around 350th in the world, both 16, both very young, both got a long way to go. Uh, Barton Kuver is also in great form, but she's the first one who I was very nervous about today. So I watched her match and she wasn't necessarily playing that well today. Um, in fact, she was a set and for love 40-15 down. <laughs> and, and came back to win it from that. Uh, so the one thing I'll say about Nicola is uh, if you do see her around in the tour later on, which is going to become increasingly likely, I think, um, there's a lot of weaknesses in her game, I would say, with revolving around serve, which is quite fragile. But one of the things she has in spades, which I think she takes almost from, you can think of her as a mini Leila Fernandez in this regard, is she has so much fight in, fight in her. So she gets into difficult positions quite a lot, but she'll always find a, or very often find a way to dig herself out of them. Yeah. So I'm expecting her to win. I, that's a very a risky thing to say after she lost only quite narrowly uh, sorry, won only narrowly today even but I'm expecting her to win her second round and I'd expect Petra to win the second round so that would be quite a big clash at this level potentially in a couple of days which I'll be looking forward to and I guess uh, in related uh, junior tech Czech tennis player news uh, so the Fervitovas are not in this draw uh, I think they chose to play qualies for the main Roland Garros draw, right? So uh, do you know about their decision to not enter the Junior Open? Are they just uh, well, a cut above everyone else in here? Well, to, to, uh, to, to uh, correct that slightly, Linda isn't playing, but okay. Brenda is. And I'll get to Brenda in a minute, but I don't know quite why Linda didn't decide to play. I think it's probably not entirely a surprise because realistically uh she what linda is now in the top 200 
17 and has tested herself and come out pretty well against two of the top players in the world right now in Elise Mertens and uh, Vika Azarenka and she's still got a way to go because she's got beaten quite handily by Kaya Kinepi twice in a row recently but I can completely understand why uh, Linda decided do you know what I'm just there's there's not really so much relevance in junior tennis for me right now. Uh, it's not quite beneath her. She'd still face some pretty fierce competition for for that. Even her sister Brenda's quite a competition for Linda. I think I said earlier, they played three straight top grade finals in a row at the back end of last year. And they're quite a handy doubles team as well. <laughs> so it's not like Linda would walk it um, but I can understand if she decided it's better to have some rest and to practice for say maybe she's taking part in some large, uh, small tour event next week I'm not clear on this I haven't checked the draw uh, but there's a few tournaments she could be playing in in the coming weeks which may be a more important because they could boost her ranking still further is quite impressive already um, but Brenda's playing uh, she's in the um, second uh, quarter of the draw and to an extent I think even we could move on to that second quarter right now because <laughs> there's not that money in the top quarter of the draw outside Petra and Nicola who are going to make it through that section it's going to be one of them almost certainly Okay, yeah, let's segue into it. Yeah, so Brenda is in the second uh, quarter of the draw. She actually has quite a tough first round, tough looking first round match, I would say. Um, and I'm a little bit worried for her at this tournament because if I, uh, as far as I could tell, she hasn't actually played a match in two months. Um, and I've been wondering if she was injured or if she was just taking a break for more intensive training. I'm not sure which. She would have earned either, I guess. Um, because earlier in the year, she produced some remarkable performances at low-grade tournaments in um, uh, Argentina, I think, Tucumán, Argentina, where she won back-to-back -back, uh, titles there. Uh, but since then... Uh, or, or soon after that, yeah, she had a she's had a couple of months off, so she's entering in no kind of match sharpness. I would so it wouldn't surprise me if she loses early. And her opponent is an Argentinian uh, girl called Solana Sierra, who isn't exactly bad herself. Not really, I would say, in Brenda's weight class. But if you allow for form, and maybe Solana's a bit sharper, has played more off more recently then I could see that going either way but um, so that could be an interesting match for tomorrow they'll they'll play um, but if Brenda is as strong as she was earlier in the year then I struggle to see anyone in that quarter who will really uh, challenge her yeah, yeah, I think she'd make it through. But there are a couple of others in that quarter I'd like to mention anyway in passing. Um, the first is this Canadian girl, Victoria Mboko, 
who um, won her first round today from a set down. Um, 15 years old, I think she is. And, Oof. well, uh, one of the younger players in this draw. I don't think she's quite as young as Brenda, actually. So that's the other thing about Brenda. She's a massive prodigy. Um, and it's weird that, like you said earlier, did did you, maybe the Fravitova sisters could have skipped this because this junior competition is beneath them. That's not actually that far off in Brenda's case, but I reckon she'd want a junior slam to her name all the same. You could think of players like Marta Kostyuk, who uh, won quite young a junior title. Clara Towson as well. You know, there are plenty of people. Just adding one to her resume, I think, or having a go at adding one to a resume would probably do her some good. But returning to Victoria and Boko, yeah, uh, top one of the top Canadian juniors right now, probably looking up to Layla <laughs> as an inspiration. And it would be nice to see Victoria go far. I think she won't this tournament. It's probably too soon for her, but um, she's well established as one of the top juniors right now. So it'd be a, um, a nice to see if she can build on that. And the other one is uh, Liv Hovd from the USA, who's relatively new to me. I've only really been paying attention to her results for like the last couple of weeks or so. Um, part of the reason I wanted to talk about her is just because it shows the diversity of different junior experiences. So you have, on the one hand, you have someone like Brenda Fravitova, who is basically barely playing junior tennis right now because she's going for all of the ITFs and building up her main WTA ranking that way. And on the other hand, you have someone like Liv Hoft, who basically, until very recently, was exclusively playing on the North American circuits against other US teams. And it's interesting to see these different kinds of routes through. I think, um, to segue to men's tennis for a second, you had like Carlos Alcaraz, who famously barely played junior tennis at all. Um, and you have a few who go on like the college scene as well, don't? Isn't that a thing in the US? The, like yeah. college tennis is quite big there. Yeah, um, I mean, so uh, with college tennis though, it's uh, it's it's definitely probably not the best competitive, like for the very top players. Like Steve Johnson is the greatest American college tennis player of all time. If that gives you a, you know, kind of a, a <laughs> yeah, framework okay. for what it's like, a man with no backhand is the all-time greatest player of all time. <laughs> oh dear, yes. Um, but yeah, Liv Hoft is basically, she's obviously not at college tennis level uh, or age even, she's only 16 herself. But I just felt it was interesting when I was looking into her previous, where basically until this year, she hadn't played, or she had played barely any matches against non-North American players. And she was winning most of the ones in the North American circuit. So this is one of her first exposures to um, international tennis. I think she was at the Australian Open and she got to the semi-finals where she lost to Petra Marchinko. Like I say, Petra's got a great chance of winning this. But I did want to mention her because I reckon she's one of the uh, better up-and-coming US teams right now. And it wouldn't surprise me, actually, if Liv made the semis instead of Brenda, because she'll be entering with better form and match fitness. But 
Uh, we'll see how it goes. She won comfortably enough today, although made a bit of a meal of it in times, but nevertheless won. Um, and then we move on to the bottom half, I suppose. So let me just quickly scan. Yeah, there's only two players I'll mention in this section. And the first is the uh, uh, third seed, Victoria Jimenez Kazintseva, who uh, um, has got such an epic name that I get very like tired typing it out all the time. So she's VJK to me, <laughs> um, and maybe to most people before too long. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you'll probably be on that one before anyone yeah. else. You'll have the nickname down. Yes, that's my. I coined it. <laughs> I probably didn't, but all the same. Yeah, yeah get those v royalties in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. VJK won the Australian Open at the 2021 edition, uh, and this is uh, her first junior tournament of the year. And I think there are certainly a few other people who care about junior tennis than me who are almost surprised that she's playing this. But my suspicion is because she's trying to get back some match fitness. Uh, she's not the... Uh, like Brenda, she's another person who hasn't played that much this year or had a very long break. Uh, she came back and reached the final of a very high-grade tournament after like a three month absence but I reckon she'll be looking for match fitness because she tried to qualify for the French Open main and failed and went out even in the first round of qualifying which was a bit of a surprise But so I reckon she's here looking to get some extra match practice um, uh, after coming back from a, some sort of injury mm -hmm. but um, as it, uh, uh, I think, yes, yeah, she's currently the highest ranked under eighteen in the women's draw, uh, in the women in the WTA rankings, uh, just edging out Linda Noskova. Um, but oddly, she hasn't actually won that many titles. The Australian Open junior title, and I think one other, uh, are her only two titles from the last two years but she keeps making great runs to like the semis and the finals of big tournaments and she's really moving up in the world it wouldn't surprise me if she's um, got a bright future ahead of her and she's a lefty and so you know a lefty from uh, Andorra rather than Spain but it's close enough right we know how good lefties from Spain are <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a good track of re record there yeah, and then at the other end of that section is Diana Schneider, who is um, a Russian uh, tennis player. So uh, we can go into all of the politics there, but this is probably her last opportunity to win a junior slam, uh, probably directly because of that. Um, uh, one of the older players in this draw, I think she's actually eighteen. So I'd include Diana Schneider in my pre-tournament favorites list. Um, and she enters in seriously wicked form. She won three ITF titles at different levels back to back um, recently, including a dominant, like, she smashed a bunch of top 200 uh, women's players to win a title in Istanbul a few weeks ago. It was an insane run. She beat Barton Cover in the final, actually, so these junior players sometimes hit the form at the same time. <laughs> So yeah, so there's 
Schneider and Kazin Saver facing off in the quarters potentially. That would be interesting if they both made it. And um, yeah, that, that wraps up that section, I think. There's a few other players, but it's those two mainly who you care about. So if you had to like predict a final for this draw, what would you what would you say? Yeah, let's get semis and finals in your winner. Yeah. Um, so there's one more section to cover before I can do the semis. Uh, so I'll do that and then I'll so I'll deliberately delay answering <laughs> just to get this last section done. Because uh, sure. in this in this section, there's another young Russian player, Mira Andreeva, in this final quarter of the draw. Um, Mira Andreeva has an elder sister called Erica, who is also in the um, or just about. Hang on, let me check. Yes, Erica Andreeva is also in the top two hundred at at under eighteen. So there's um, there's quite a few of them right now. <laughs> um, but I reckon Mira has more potential than Erica does. Um, uh, I'm inclined just to anticipate your uh, question to say that Mira might be the favourite to make the semis in this section now but if she does want to do that she'll have some stiff potentially some stiff competition because uh, there's an um, there's two other players who I reckon have a good chance of making the quarters which but they'd have to face off before playing against Mira and that's Sarah Balek, who is uh, uh, another one of the, the Czech superstar young players. Mm. Uh, and enters in reasonably decent form. I watched her play earlier today, though, and she's absolutely tiny, or at least she looks absolutely tiny on screen. I don't understand how it is she's able to reach over the net almost. <laughs> but uh, I think it's probably just a near, like... Uh, you know, tennis tennis players with the longer legs look really tall, and I would say that Balek's Balek's legs aren't the longest, but I don't think she's actually that small. Uh, but she's not a bad player herself. And finally, just to briefly wrap up that section, there's a Celine Naif or Naif from uh, Switzerland who could be worth looking out for. I wouldn't include Celine among my pre-tournament favourites, but nevertheless she enters in decent form because she won the, the warm-up competition uh, for this event. So, one to look out for. But yeah, if I were to re uh, name my semi-finalists, I'd probably pick Andreeva and Schneider for the bottom half. I'm going to go for Schneider over Kazantseva because I reckon VJK is... See, I'm trying to get that nickname in as often as I can. <laughs> mm. I reckon VJK is probably not match sharp enough right now to uh, to contest uh, against an evenly matched opponent. Um, so I'd say Schneider and Dreva for that semi. Uh, and it's a little bit hard for me to call the second because uh, I uh, it, it like I would imagine that Petra Machinko beats Nikola Bartunkova, but it's extremely difficult to call, and I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, but whoever it is, they probably play, I reckon, uh, either Brenda Fravirtova or Liv Hovda. 
and I'm deferring on that one mainly because I want to see Brenda play a couple of matches before I call her semi-favourite. I want to see what her form is like. If she's coming back from injury, she might easily lose in the first round. But if she's coming back completely fresh, then it would be hard to see her not making the semis. But yeah, referring to the other one. So Petra Marchinko, I think, has the game to beat Barton Cover. But, uh, like I said, Nicola's very good at digging herself out of difficult situations. Well, at times, Petra hasn't always been the best front runner. <laughs> so, in that first round match I saw her play in Zagreb, she went 4-0 up in the first set. And then lost six straight games to lose the set. And you could easily see something like that happening, where there are the, the, the twin effects of Petra sometimes losing focus when she's in control of a match, and Nicola being able to dig herself out of scrappy situations. Those combining could easily make things swing the other way. So it's, it's, it's hard for me to say who wins that match if they play. Uh, but of the two, the one who plays the bet has the better A game is Petra, I think, right now. So it's just a question of if she can bring her A game or not. Makes sense. Um, yeah. So and so I think I said what was it? Uh, Schneider and Dreva, and uh, either Marchinko or Bartunkova against Fravitova or Hovd, and. I'm going to say Schneider reaches the final because in that match I reckon age would count for a lot mm -hmm. um, um, but the top half is very difficult to call uh, honestly it could be any one of the people I've mentioned um, so would you reckon that like the person that comes out of the bottom half has a better chance to win or is it just that the top half is so stacked that whoever comes out of there is just like really the favorite to win um i haven't seen enough of schneider i've seen schneider's results but not her game so far mm -hmm. uh I think uh, if she enters that final fresh, and if, as is quite likely, all of the various favourites in the top half batter the crap out of each other in these epic free setters, not to mention they're all a lot of them are playing doubles as well, mm -hmm. then you could easily see that fatigue plays its part in allowing Schneider to win it or something like that. But in terms of like raw ability... I don't think that Schneider's the the strongest player in this field. I just think that she's definitely... I definitely include her as one of my favourites because I reckon she has the advantage of a, a relatively simpler path to the final. And even the challenging matches uh, which lie ahead, like VJK, are possibly manageable for her because of uh, respective forms and match fitness. Like, VJK was... Uh, looking a bit vulnerable in her win today. She came through the last two sets, I think, winning 11 straight games, but all the same, she lost the first set and 
certainly there were moments where she could have lost, uh, gone behind in the second, hmm. and and even the third for that. So, I don't think that VJK is match fit enough to pose a uh, enough of a threat to Schneider right now. But these things are very difficult to predict, of course. Um, but in terms of the top section, if for whatever reason one of the various favourites is just hitting a hot streak, then having to play one extra free set match or whatever probably doesn't make enough of a difference. And I would in, I'd be inclined to say it's 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 uh, from the top half we'll find our winner, but it will be I think quite close. Okay, and then uh, something I wanted to ask about was, uh, I know you said VJK uh, hadn't really played much this year, and she's the third seed. So how do they do the seedings for the junior tournaments? Is it just based off of, uh, obviously it's not the WTA rank, because you were telling me, you know, some of them were had made more progress on the WTA ranks than others, but uh, do they use, like, the ITF points, or how does that work? Or do they have, like, their own governing body? Um, yeah, it's an ITF system. So there are two aspects in play. The first, just to explain how junior rankings work, as opposed to uh, 16, I think it is, tournaments, which the WTA ranking is based on. Uh, for the junior rankings, it's based on singles and doubles performance. Hmm. So it's combined as well. And there's some logic to that because most juniors play both singles and doubles every week anyway. Interesting. So, um, but also it's based on only your best six. Um, tw- uh, so it's your best six singles and your best six doubles results. But they weight the doubles a little bit lower because, of course, um, uh, in doubles it's not only down to you, right? It's down to your partner as well. So it, to compensate for that, they divide the doubles points you earn by four. <laughs> and add the two together. So that determines the ranking. Um, at the seeding though is very slightly different because it does take into account WTA ranking to an extent. I literally only learned this aspect of it uh, uh, today, I think. Um, um, what uh, Basically they uh, try to uh, estimate like a, what an equivalent uh, ranking to the junior rankings would be uh, in the senior tour. So, for example, uh, in fact, Sarah Balek, who is the tenth seed, is almost uh, uh, is only like three hundred and fiftieth in the world in the junior rankings. But because she's so highly ranked in the uh, um, uh, WTA. Uh, I think even she's uh, inside the top 300. Yes, she's inside the top 300. So the ITF uses a formula which says that if you're in that kind of uh, bracket, we'll pretend you're ranked uh, around 10th in juniors. <laughs> so uh, uh, there's, I think, some logic to this because if you're still young enough to play on the junior tour, but you don't play very often, but you've nevertheless proved yourself to be a very good main tour player, it would be extremely cruel to have it that you were some kind of unseeded wild card 
just play against <laughs> the you know the junior number. Like it's the same as Naomi Osaka and Biandrescu B- had when they were floating around as unranked players, unseeded players. Sorry, like absolute nightmare draws for anyone who comes up to against them. Yeah. And Sarah Balek as an example fits into that. Actually, so does Kazantseva. She barely plays junior tennis, so her rankings slip. She's, uh, I think, still inside the top ten juniors, but she's seeded third because of the fact that she's in the WTA top two hundred. So, yeah, makes sense. Uh, and then uh, also, why do you think that Czech tennis is just? Uh, as insanely good as it is, especially coming up in the junior ranks. I mean, it's just for a country of its size, it's outperforming it by many factors. So, I know, um, just crazy stuff from them. I know, it absolutely is. I, 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 I think it's just it must owe something to like a great tradition, because I would imagine that they've turns to historical idols like Martina Navratilova and goodness only knows who else. I wish I could name more players from the late 90s who were Czech uh, superstars. But presumably they've just developed a, a great academy program. It's particularly noticeable in the girls I would say. Uh, less so in the uh, boys juniors. But the fact that we haven't even mentioned Linda Noskova for example or <laughs> who who gave Emma quite a run for her money uh, in that first in that opening round, uh, or we haven't mentioned uh, uh, another player from the top five hundred who's a Czech teenager, Dominika Shalkova. You know there are there are dozens of them. It's kind of, it is scary, and I wish I could explain it. Um, but. Whatever it is, uh, something in the water, just a, a very well-founded academy system. Uh, there's a check, there's a conveyor belt of Czech tennis, and it doesn't even stop with the people we're seeing at the French Open now. There's a, a couple of um, Czech players who are 13 or 14 years old, who I'm aware of, who are coming through rap- rapidly. Um, uh and will be worth keeping an eye on in like a couple of years' time to see what they can do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's amazing what they can what what's coming out of that country talent wise. I I also had a question about just youth tennis as a whole. Uh, when you're watching it, what qualities do you think are like the most important that like leads to success in the youth scene? Is it like a strong mental game, a strong serve, strong ground strokes? What would you say is like one, some of the more important parts of, or aspects of the game to have in the youth compared to the professional level? So most young uh, women's tennis players don't really have the strongest serves. And mm-hmm. that's kind of inevitable, I think, because the serve is one of the hardest shots to develop power behind. Uh, and even quite a few, like it, it's a shot which really distinguishes more than any other I think the men's game from the women's game right the service like 20-30 miles an hour more yeah. powerful on average makes a huge difference to the flow of the game so if so in that sense if for whatever reason you were a young junior uh, 
with a decent serve, that's already going to stand you out quite, uh, stand you in good stead. Um, most of them have uh, pretty decent ground strokes, I would say, and generally all of them have developed, like, uh, most of the good ones have developed all of the shots. So the distinguishing factor is probably the, uh, the selection, mm. what shot to play at what time. Um, uh, and the ability to add add a little bit of extra variety to the game. So Brenda has already developed good drop shot sense, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that example. makes sense. Yeah, uh, or or perhaps we should say the Alcaraz shot, as it's uh, <laughs> getting known these days. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, if on the uh, on the rare occasion that they have. Uh, good serves that's going to help and then the main thing uh, beyond that is uh, will be things like movement and shot selection mm-hmm. and and so I, I guess, would add uh, and I would ahead. add to that mental toughness as well I'd say yeah you, you need to not get flustered or you need to be able to set put the inevitable setbacks behind you okay so I guess building off of that uh, would you say there's any like a uh, dominant style like is there like a distinctive Czech style of play that's going to be you know kind of a, a new thing that's coming up uh in the coming years or uh would you say uh more of like a ball dashing style like what we saw in the early aughts with like uh capriati and davenport and the william sisters or uh is it going to be more of a finesse style that's coming up or can you really tell at this point i think it's hard for me to answer questions like that because i pay I don't know if I analyse tennis in quite that sort of way. Like I'm, uh, I'm more appreciative of, uh, of of the standard of play or, or whatever than I am able to explain it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sure. sense. I'm um, the same way. Um, but I think if if anyone did watch the Noskova Raducanu match. Um, then one of the things I think which defined Linda's performance was a willingness to go for everything. Um, and, you know, that kind of ability to hit uh, great shots uh, surprisingly regularly, but also maybe like a very relatively high-risk game style. Um, but I would say that's not necessarily that representative of all of them. Petra, I think, is similar. And Linda is quite... Uh, Linda Fravitova is quite similar as well, I would say, to that. But on the other end, you have players... I think uh, Brenda's a little bit more savvy. And then you can add in the lefty effects of the VJK and so on. And then on the other end, still, you have Nikola Bartunkova, who doesn't really have, I would say, much power to her shots. Um... So she's winning through um, grittiness and uh, 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 maybe a little bit of a uh, you know, generation of angles or what have you. I would say most of the games I've seen, are the, the, they're playing what I would call interesting tennis. That's the best word I could use for it. Like there aren't that many who are just there to, you know, push just hit the ball back over the net and wait for a mistake there's a willingness i think to go for things in general 
Interesting. Uh, do so, we want to? Uh, go ahead. You got it. Uh, do we want to transition over to the um, the main draw, like the men's and women's draw, or anything else to touch on? Well, I was just one. So that's the French Open wrapped up. I did want to like uh, spoil a couple of the names, like for for future coming up. So go ahead. The the obsession with uh, focusing on junior tennis, as you see, uh, sort of have been motivated to dig even further down still. So there are a couple of uh, even twelve and thirteen year olds who aren't ready at this level yet, but I think are going to be quite exciting in the coming uh, years. So the first one, the British one, finally get to talk about a British junior, <laughs> is uh, Hannah Klugman, who uh, only turned 13 like two months ago or so, and has already had a f wonderful start to her junior career. She won her first two tournaments at quite a high level. And then she was even playing this week in Croatia, about an hour and a half drive away from where I was, which would be great if I could drive. <laughs> Um, and she made the semis and it was, but it was very hot and I think she struggled to deal with the conditions and uh, ended up losing in the semi-finals sadly but keep an eye out for her in like uh, maybe um, uh, not this year but next year at Wimbledon Juniors I reckon she'll be there almost certainly uh, uh, and yeah she's she's won I'm quite excited about uh, as a British fan. And then uh, there's another, like uh, someone who else who just turned 13 recently who everyone's quite excited about, Xenia Ev Fromova, another Russian girl. Uh, there's a bit of tragedy in her story because her dad, who I think was her coach, died quite recently or sometime towards the end of last year. But she has... Uh, overcome that tragedy. I'm reminded a bit of Aman Amanda Anisimova in that regard. I think Amanda's dad died a couple of years ago, too, which was rather sad. But putting that to one side, she's a very good player herself. Hannah Klugman beat her, so that's why I'm more excited about Hannah. <laughs> but um, she's also just started her junior career and is also on a wonder on a very good winning streak. Barely has barely lost this year. Um, they're both very exciting to look out for. Um, there are a few others I'll just mention in passing from the Czech Republic. Again, there's Alina Kovatskova, who uh, is up and coming. I think has lost once this year <laughs> and has played like 45 matches and won 44 of them. Something stupid like that. Playing like eager. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, eager, and even is delivering the bakery goods uh, at the same uh, at an even more rapid level than Eager's fiance, in fact, <laughs> but at a lower level, so maybe it's uh, less significant, probably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she's one to look out for. She just started her junior career a little bit later than I was expecting. And finally, from Germany, uh, Julia Stusek, who uh, is a player as well as someone worth keeping an eye on. Uh, I saw her play. Her serve is her serving technique is, shall we say, weird. But if she can iron that out, then the rest of her game is uh, very incredible for her age. And I would not be surprised to see her amongst the top players, uh, top junior players, rather in the next couple of years or so. 
So yeah, that wraps up my uh, discussion on junior tennis, I think. I guess uh, yes, one, one thing uh, I wanted to touch on the the boys' draw as well. Oh yeah. Uh, just in particular, I'm I'm not sure how much you pay attention to the the boys' draw, but uh, one player and she's Bazovaretti, the five seed. Uh, I've played against him uh, a couple years back, and oh, wow. uh, I was just uh, pretty pretty shocked to see his name in the draw. Uh, that I guess that's just all I had to add. <laughs> nice. seed, especially. Uh... So you have a connection to that side. I'm, uh, I apologize for being slightly less interested in boys' tennis. Uh, it's just the way things are, are at the moment. So there's a, there are, I think, fewer of the junior boys who are quite so exciting, or at least uh, uh, at the moment. Maybe it's also because uh, men tennis players tend to develop a little bit slower. So mm-hmm. usually you have to wait until, like, the early 20s before they start making an impact with yeah. obvious exceptions <laughs> yeah it, it seems like the exciting teens are in the actual men's draw yeah uh, for this tournament yeah but um there was one from croatia Mili polichak who uh, did very well at a challenger tournament uh, not that long ago made a run to the final despite being ranked like 1200th in the world we should challenge a level final from that far down is amazing so one of my pre-tournament favorites but beyond that i don't really know that much about any of the players in the draw i mean i, kn- I know that uh what was it Jakob menschik and kuzahara contested the australian open final and kuzahara won that but yeah it'll, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how many of these people become important to tennis in future years but I think most of the better men's team players aren't even taking part in it aren't in this so yeah yeah I would say uh, probably uh, this is probably correct that uh, probably like the 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 junior boys side kind of has a a lower translation rate to the actual you know, men's success than the girls does to the WTA. Would you say it's correct? I think uh, to an extent, yeah. I mean, obviously there are exceptions. I'm, I'm struggling now to remember off the top of my head who it was. It was, no, no, it was it was Stefan Edberg who won the junior calendar Grand Slam <coughs> and then was quite a decent player himself. And then Gaia Monfils, I think, won either two or three out of four slams one year. So a few of them do make an impact. But yeah, you all, on the other end, you have people like Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal who maybe tam- like dabbled in junior tennis, uh, mm-hmm. but then very soon left it behind. And you can understand why. I think uh, in, to an extent for a lot of players, uh, if you were able to compete at a higher level, if you're good enough to compete at a higher level, even if you aren't winning all the time, that's probably going to be more advantageous for your development than cleaning up at most junior tournaments. Yeah, that Slams makes sense. obviously the exception. But, um, so, for example, the Alina Kovatskova I mentioned, I was surprised that she moved so late to regular junior tennis, but she was playing a lot of matches this year anyway, but in the under-16s and under-14s level. And I was just looking at her results and I was really struggling to see even the point of what she was doing. 
uh, <laughs> uh, what she was doing there because uh, I don't know if I have no I don't have the link to her directly I just have to look this up just give me a second don't take long um, but yeah as I said she's she played something like uh, 41 matches in fact this year and won 40 of them uh, but she's winning them with like ridiculous scoreline so this was a tournament she played at the end of April which went her set scores were 6-love 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 6-1 6-love 4664, 6 love, 6 love, 6 love, 6 free. I mean, that's what that is. There were one, two, three, seven bagels in that out of the 11 sets played. <laughs> Even is the point. Yeah, wow. that's decent. Looking yeah. like an 88 Steffi Graf out there. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was, uh, and, and she did similar things again at the tournament before that, and the one before that, and the one before that. She's still not the best of the 13 year old. But she's way above that sort of six, under sixteen level, and it's just one could not necessarily. I'm I'm sure it's good for a player's confidence to rack up wins, but it's it's kind of I don't know like uh, like if in football if Man United spend most of their season playing conference teams, yeah, <laughs> it's just I mean sure it's good to stretch your legs, but you're not gaining anything out of it. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, do you think that like having success uh, and like being like really good in comparison to the the girls draw or like the youth draw would create a weird like a especially weird transition to the a more competitive scene like professional women's or men's. Sorry, can you just uh, repeat that? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, do you think that like finding the youth draw really easy and like just winning handily at everything would create a strange transition to like harder competition especially in like the the WT and ATP yeah basically sure. do you think it's important to to learn how to lose and overcome adversity or just I smash think, through everyone I think uh, it's gonna be the standard small fish in big uh, uh, big fish in small pond to small fish in big pond transition right Mm -hmm. um, I don't play professional sports myself so I can only compare to academia uh, when I'm not talking about tennis I'm a math I'm a physicist uh, um, but to relate to my own experience as briefly as possible when I was at high school I was one of the best uh, maths and physics there and it was more or less not even close and then I went to university and transition was so unbelievably like stuck that I nearly crashed and burned I don't quite know how I made it through mm -hmm. uh, this isn't about me but um, that kind of experience I assume must be the same in uh, professional sport as well if you're just winning everything and you're not even being challenged it must breed some bad habits yeah, yeah um, that makes sense uh, so I think, uh, yeah, it must is presumably going to be beneficial for people who have already moved beyond a level in, in, in basic ability to transition to the next one up as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and presumably you have to find uh, balance still, like you don't want to push yourself too far in the other direction because you can think of, 
I mean, a good example of someone who I think is underachieved or, uh, so far would be Marta Kostiuk, who you know, I think she won the Australian Open at like 14 or something. And it's not that she's done nothing in her adult career, but when you have that young a prodigy uh, who was that dominant at that age, and while she's, you know, a top 50 or a verge of top 50 player now, you would really have expected more and I reckon that at least a part of it is maybe the uh, the, the um, uh, either transitioning too soon or um, getting at least a little bit of complacency and not get because she was a top junior all through her career I think um, it, it can't uh, it's all the ways about finding balance I guess mm -hmm. uh, but it's definitely important that you find a level where it's competitive I'm sure because losing is important as well you need to know learn how to lose sometimes you can just get around that by never losing like Giga Shiontek but even she lost a lot before she went on this streak right she's had to overcome yeah. difficulties okay and so yeah well put uh I guess we could go ahead and move on to the main draws now. Uh, on the men's side, we have about half of our quarterfinals booked. Uh, Carlitos is still playing Hachinov, but I think it's pretty safe to pencil him in as well. So uh, we have our two quarters set. Uh, first is obviously Novak versus Rafa, and then second will be Sasha versus Carlitos. So uh, I guess thoughts on those. Well, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I really hope that Alcaraz wins his quarter. I have nothing more to say on that. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Zverev I is a hope, supremely yeah. unlikable man, so... I hope yeah. that Zverev loses his quarter, which mm. by default would put Alcaraz yeah. as the winner of his well, quarter, but... Uh, you don't care who wins, you just need that guy to lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm actually really looking forward to the Djokovic-Nadal match. It's been a a, a while since they last played uh, especially on clay because uh, mm. Nadal has not been healthy in the past couple of seasons on the clay uh, or not just the last season and the 2020 or, yeah um, but yeah it's exciting to see Djokovic he's playing really well hasn't dropped a, a set so far uh, really handled Schwartzman I thought Schwartzman would put up much more of a a fight than just one three three, but yeah. Yeah, it's certainly been yeah. interesting to see uh, Djokovic. Um, he seems to be hitting the form at the right time, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I guess, never bet against Rafa at the French Open. Yeah, but I, I would. I would be inclined to bet against him on this occasion. I think Novak wins that, maybe in four. But. Yeah, I think Novak in four, uh, just like last year in the semis, would probably be my pick as well, especially seeing uh, just how far Felix really pushed Rafa to the brink today. I don't really think he can come back after playing a four-and-a-half-hour match uh, against such a fresh Djokovic and uh, come through victorious, especially if it's at a night session. But... Yeah, I was really impressed by Felix today, especially he hadn't won 
a matchup Roland Garros at all until this year. So uh, I think he kind of proved he's also uh, one of the, the real deals of the ATP. Uh, I would not be surprised at all if he makes a final or even wins Wimbledon in this year or the next coming years. So yeah, great performance from him. Yeah, it was lovely to see him smiling at the end as well because mm-hmm. it must be hard to lose a match like that. But you get the feeling that he was enjoying it too much to be disheartened in the moment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he pl- just has such a great mentality. Yeah, yeah. plus if I was going to lose to anyone at the French Open, it, it may as well be Rafa, right? That dude is so good at, at this tournament. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that was only the fifth time... The fifth time he's been taken to five. Yeah. What's his record at the French Open now? I want to say it's a uh, hundred and seven and three now. It must be. Yeah, something stupid like that. <laughs> yeah, that is insanity. Yeah. So then, uh, I guess from there we have everyone's least favorite, or should be their least favorite player, at least uh, Sasha Zverev, who has gotten an absolute cakewalk draw after playing. Sebastian Baez in the second round and uh, saving a match point there. He's played Nakashima and he's played Bernabe Zapata Medias and he has not dropped a set so far in those. Though so I do think his run will mercifully come to an end here. I think Carlitos is just such a bad matchup for him. I've never seen, uh, like, Zverev, it looks like he's somehow trying to hit the ball as hard as he can and somehow, like, restrain it and not even try to be swinging it's a you know kind of a bizarre uh thing he has where he he cannot like actually play attacking tennis even though he should be able to uh but i think carlos as we saw uh recently in madrid he's just gonna his variety and skill is just on another level compared to uh the mental midget himself sasha double fault kings Verev. but Mm -hmm. that's my take yeah i think what we saw in uh what turn it was it madrid where uh, Carlos just completely dismantled Zverev in two. I think a similar kind of thing is going to happen in this matchup between them, provided that he does that Alcaraz beats Hachinov, which is likely. Yeah, let's hope. Uh, I mean, Alcaraz did look vulnerable against what was it, Ramos Vinolas? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I kind of I feel that that was the sort of match that he needs to you know he's come through it it's going to help give him confidence again at uh, these sorts of five setters and you know he he, do- he demolished Corder yeah exactly uh, revenge match in, he's not exactly looking in trouble against Hashinov so yeah so yeah, he's looking sharp. I, I'm not convinced Alcaraz wins the French Open yet. I don't want to say I don't think he's going to, like, with any confidence, because he's clearly getting like the the speed of development of Alcaraz right now is insane. Mm-hmm. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, he finds that quarterfinal a little tough and Djokovic being. Uh, hitting the form he's hitting right now that uh, five set experience is going to be different and I think that uh, I wouldn't want to call it per se but I would uh, I, I think uh, 
Cruz isn't quite ready just yet to win a slam, but he yeah, probably will get close. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Be very reasonable. Yeah, and I'd love to be proven wrong. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree that Djokovic right now is probably the favorite to win the tournament at this point. Uh, he was before the tournament started, but he's just proven himself to be nearly unbeatable in the tournament so far. So like, he hasn't no, shown any weakness. He probably has had the easiest draw so far. I mean, uh, other. I mean, Diego really had quite a poor clay season by his standards. So uh, obviously, this is going to be his first real test against Rafa coming up. Uh, he hasn't really played anyone who's been able to push him around or dictate in any meaningful way so uh, this should be a, a great match coming up to really uh, get him in check and see exactly what he's at but yeah definitely I think we're all looking forward to a potential uh, semi-final clash of the titans between uh, Novak or Rafa versus Carlitos should that happen so yeah. that should be probably a be a great match That'll yeah and this just in, uh, Carlitos just held his break against Hachanov in the second set to be up 5-3 in the second. Yeah, no, no surprise there. Yeah. But uh, I guess going to the bottom half, uh, these matches will be taking place tomorrow. Uh, so starting off, we have our boy Casper Ruud uh, versus Hubert Horkatz. Uh, and then the other side of this one is Holger Rune versus Stefanos Tsitsipas. Uh, Stefanos continues his streak of not playing a seeded player. Uh, everyone kind of predicted he'd have an easy draw, and while he hasn't had the easiest matches, he definitely hasn't faced many big names. But uh, Holger's had a nice little run. He hasn't dropped a set either. Mm -hmm. And then uh, on the top side, you have Casper Ruud, who fought through a nice little 2 to 1 comeback against Lorenzo Sanego yesterday. And then Horkatz, who also has not dropped a set. He was very impressive against Gofan yesterday. I don't think uh, most people were expecting him to roll that quickly especially on clay but i think both of those should be pretty tight matches uh, i think i'd probably pick rude and five and then ct pass and probably four or five as well but yeah i think they'll both be entertaining yeah i i would say rude and four uh and then a ct pass and five just because i i'm a big runa fan i love that man uh, so i'm definitely biased there yeah i'm not sure i don't know I've not really seen enough of any of them. This is the mm -hmm. problem with focusing on women's tennis, but you pay less attention to the men's. I, yeah. I think Tsitsipas has, has already had his difficult match, though. I think he gets through to the quarters, at least. Mm -hmm. And then in the bottom quarter, we have Rublev against uh, everyone's favorite person named Jan, Yannick Sinner, along with Marin Cilic going up against Daniil Medvedev. The clay god, yes. The clay god. What's a king clay. to a god? We'll find out in the final. But, uh, yeah, I, I watched Med play Katamadovic yesterday, and, uh, you know, he, he looked uh, right at home. He looked just like the dog he is in the dirt. So mm -hmm. uh, I, he, he looked like he kind of had improved his net game since Australia when Rafa kind of exploited him there. He looked more comfortable moving forward and really just looked in top form all around. I think uh, if he plays like this, obviously Chilich has been kind of redlining this whole tournament as well, but I, I really think he'll breeze past Chilich pretty quickly if he keeps this form up. And really uh, unexpected for pretty much everyone that he's playing this well at Roland Garros, but I really think he's a threat to make the final if he keeps playing this well. 
but then Rublev center, I mean, that's just like looking in a mirror. These two guys play basically the same style of tennis. And it's just going to come down to whoever's making fewer errors. Uh, I've heard rumblings of Sinner having an issue with his knee, so I'll probably pick Rublev uh, for this one, probably in a very close 4-5 or five set match. He has beaten Djokovic on clay in Belgrade this year, so I think Rublev's had a bit better results. Uh, but that one's definitely a toss-up. Yeah. I would say the same. Uh, I believe that a Rublev-Daniel Medvedev matchup in the uh, what's the quarterfinals would be very interesting to watch just because they both are very entertaining characters as well as tennis players. So there's always bound to be some fun to be had in that matchup. Uh, I believe that that matchup between Rublev and Sinner will go to five sets. Uh, yeah, that's my prediction there. Yeah, so I, then I guess not too great. Yeah, I think all of these matches tomorrow should be really close, though. Uh, probably better than the ones today. Obviously, the FAA Rafa match was great, but everything else looks to be probably a straight set beatdown. So really excited for these ones tomorrow. And then, uh, yeah, probably we'll have a great... Everyone was kind of, you know, talking about the bottom half of the draw being weak. And it, it certainly uh, has been probably in star power. Definitely a lot less than the than the top half. But I think by the time we get to the quarters, I think it'll all kind of, yeah, you know, sort itself out. We'll have our new god of clay, Medvedev. I don't think people were really predicting his resurgence here. Uh, so I really think it should be probably a ton of great matches from here on out, I'd say. But I do think Novak's the favorite. He's probably playing the best. Yeah, I think that my semifinal prediction of Tsitsipas or on the top quarter, Novak comes out. Bottom or second quarter, Carlitos, Tsitsipas, Sinner. I think is my still most likely result, provided that Sinner ha- is fine with his knee. If Sinner's not, then I think Medvedev comes out. of that quarter okay yeah okay so then I guess yeah go ahead no no, I don't have anything interesting to say yeah I'm inclined to agree (laughs) I guess the only thing I'd switch is I think Medvedev's gonna come out of that that bottom quarter Uh, regardless I just think he's playing at such a high level for him which is pretty unexpected but I think if he keeps it up I don't really think uh, Rublev or Sinner can beat him but yeah, that's all I'd say. And then I guess now moving on to the the women's draw. Uh, obviously, I think we'd be inclined to agree that Iga would be a massive favorite to win the tournament. Yep. But from there, uh, we can start with the two quarters that have been punched. We have the All-American Affair, Coco Goff versus Sloane Stevens. Uh, Sloane's really made a nice run here. That was, you know, she's been in terrible form the whole year leading up to this. So that was pretty surprising to see her go all the way to the quarters but I do think it probably ends at the hands of Coco Goff who you know this has kind of been her uh obviously her first slam quarterfinal but uh really I think coming out to where she you know people have been saying she can the level she can play at she's been kind of sustaining that and really just destroying people for the most of the draw so far I do expect that to continue and then the other quarter we have Trevisan versus Layla. 
I, I like Layla to continue her winning ways. I don't really think uh, she'll be challenged too much. I think she'll actually make a straight set to victory, which is pretty rare for her. And then I do like Layla to advance to the finals. And then, uh, Jim, if you want to do the top half, uh, the fourth round matches for tomorrow, I guess. Well, yeah, we start with uh, Sviantek versus another uh, young teenager who I haven't had a chance to talk about, which is uh, Zhang Kunwen, who's quite a good uh, Chinese, te Chinese teenager. Nevertheless, I'm surprised at how well Zhang's done this tournament. I don't really think I expected her to get through Halle, for example. And then maybe she gets lucky in the last round that Cornet was injured. But all the same, it's a very good tournament for her. But Sfiante really ought to be a step too far in this tournament. I really don't... Like, she had a wobble against Kovinic, so there's this question mark where maybe the pressure of continuing this run is going to start getting to Iga. But... I would be surprised if it affects her in this match enough to, to lose it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, Sviantek in two ought to be a safe-ish bet, but uh, safe bets are not the easiest to make in women's tennis right now, so... <laughs> then we have, what, uh, Pegula versus uh, 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 Begu? Yulina uh, Camellia Begu who I don't really know anything about, but she's certainly um, uh, come through some very tough matches to get here. Uh, uh, while Pogula's hit some uh, decent looking form. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be inclined to go with the seed getting through that one as well. Um, but I haven't seen enough of either of them to play to say anything more than that. So, uh, yeah, I'd say other than Iga, uh, Pagula's honestly been one of the most consistent players at the top. Uh, I know she's going to make her top 10 debut here. And uh, something that's, I guess, noteworthy or interesting about the WTA rankings is, uh, I guess, first that Annette Contivate is going to be number two in the live rankings right now, despite losing in the first round, jumping from five to two. Uh, from that, uh, just kind of interesting. But then uh, Pagula can go all the way from 11 to 2. She's at 9 right now in the live rankings. But depending on how uh, this tournament turns out, she can just be any number of spots in the rankings, which I think is uh, really fascinating, I guess, just how volatile the rankings are. Especially, like, yeah, Krajikova really plummeted after her first-round loss. Obviously, she wasn't able to defend the points, but just a whole uh, revolving door at the top. Yeah, to an extent, I think it owes at least something to Ash Barty retiring. Because, firstly, there's no way Barty isn't staying either number one or number two right now in the world, if she were still playing. Uh, just to, before I say anything more, I absolutely not wanting to criticise Barty at all for choosing to retire. You have to make a choice which is the best for yourself. <laughs> not not for uh, the selfish benefits of tennis fans. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in terms of the rankings, I think that plays a part in messing it up a bit because it also sucks points out of the system for a while, 
right? She had uh, Wimbledon and the Australian Open, so that's 4,000 points right there, which otherwise would have been dispersed among other people. Uh, not to mention anything else that she various other decent runs that she'd made recently. Didn't she have a title in the run-up to the Australian Open? Like uh, Adelaide or one of the Melbourne sets? Can't remember now. So that that helps mess up the rankings quite a bit. And then players like uh, Krajcikova who was suffering from an injury. It doesn't surprise me that she comes back and loses instantly and, and, and falls back down. It must have been very like if your first match back is the first round defending the biggest title of your career. Very awkward, especially a who did she play? Yeah, a French woman as well, Diane Parry. That's a nightmare draw for 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 a first match in five months, and it does mess up the draw, uh, the, the rankings a little bit. I don't. I, I don't feel, though, that the criticisms of this, which we've seen in the last few days, are that fair. I don't know where you stand on that. Okay, yeah. Uh, Barty retiring definitely really threw a wrench in things. And I, I really love to watch Barty. She's my favorite uh, player on the women's side, especially with her backhand slice and more all-around uh, net game that was very proficient. Uh, definitely sad to see her go, but like you said, uh, she had to do what was best for herself, and she's obviously talented in a wide variety of disciplines, so she can really do anything. So I guess moving on to the other two fourth-round matches, uh, what would you say about those? Uh, Kuda Matova is another player I don't know about. I reckon she's ridden her luck a little bit to get here because Bedosa again retiring from an injury. Uh, a set down a little bit lucky but on the other hand she um, you know another one of the uh, top 30 doing quite well but I don't see uh, like I think Madison Keys should win that match or has the better chances of winning that match I mean well Keen is a very good player so for Keys to come through that one bodes well I think so I would imagine Keyes wins that, but I think that isn't Madison known sometimes for being a bit, shall we say, volatile and uh, living on the edge sometimes with her game. So it could yeah, go absolutely. either way, I suppose, depending on how Keyes feels on the day. But I would, I would expect Madison to make it through that. And then we come to uh, Dasha Kazakina versus Camila Giorgi, who uh, both are, um, uh, I, I would say. Uh, both of them are surprising that they've got this far. Like Kazakin has looked pretty good on the clay, so not necessarily quite that surprising. But didn't Georgi or Georgi or however you pronounce it enter on like a seven-match losing streak or something? Yeah, Georgi was in very bad form, yeah. and uh, her best results have come on the faster surfaces. So, hmm. especially with her power game, yeah. I was yeah shocked to see her. Uh, take Sabalenka to the bagel and the breadstick in the last round yeah. but obviously she's playing very well yeah. still I'd back Kazakina to come through that one uh, maybe that's a bit of favoritism I kind of like Dasher as a player and as a person uh, so I'd, I'd really hope to see her succeed here especially because uh, of course Kazakina is going to be a little bit quiet in the grass season sadly 
So I, I, I okay. very much like to see Dasher win that one. Um, sure. So I guess out of those four women, who do you think would be the most likely semi-opponent for Iga? I'm still going to stick with Dasher, I think. I think uh, she has just a little bit too much clay now to be so troubled by Keys, but we'll see. I don't, I wouldn't want to commit to that, but I, 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 I like her chances, I'd say. Okay, and then what would you say about the bottom half? Uh, what have we got? Uh, Trevis and... Uh, so, Fernandez doesn't know how to lose, so obviously she makes a semis no matter how bad she's playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I reckon there's a great chance that this is Coco Goff's breakthrough tournament, though. I, I, I would not be surprised to see Goff make the final, even at this point. But then again, you know, she's playing Sloane Stevens, who also hasn't been in great form, and somehow just pulls this sort of performance out of goodness only knows where so it's all very difficult to call the only thing i would say relatively confidently is that i don't see trevison making the fun so you're saying that fernandez is a lock to beat trevison uh, more or less because right. like Layla, it's not that Layla doesn't lose because obviously we know that she does but it takes a player who has to sustain like a very high level in the face of what Layla's capable of doing so if, if Layla gets on a, is playing well anyway then there's no way Trevison can keep up whereas if Layla's playing like a, her, her sort of a scrappier game where she's struggling to make it through that it just takes the smallest of dips for for Trevison to suddenly be blown out, like you know, concede a break back and, uh, and struggle in the first third set or whatever. Like, I think you have to be somewhat of the, um, you just have to be somehow in the zone and just completely unfazed by Layla's ability to fight back and throw off anything which is thrown at her. And mm-hmm. so for that sort of thing, you need people like well I mean obviously Emma back in the US Open could do it <laughs> but people of that sort of mentality so uh, who, who just aren't afraid and who aren't uh, uh, going to uh, uh, suffer from those sorts of the, the dips which Layla will exploit so I think that people like uh, Sloane Stevens and Coco both would be capable of beating Layla for that reason especially uh, like if Sloane is just redlining again uh, then it doesn't matter how much of a fighter you are if you're just getting blasted off the court you can, can't do anything um, but I don't believe that Trevisan will have the game to beat Layla no. I mean obviously having said that it's Trevisan in 6-2-6 love but whatever <laughs> but no I think Layla makes the semis and uh, I I'm going to say that a teenager makes the final from that draw. <laughs> yeah, if it ended up being uh, Layla versus Coco, that would be definitely yeah. a blockbuster semi that I think a lot of yeah. people would be excited for. Probably a very close three-side match yeah. as well. So really shaping up to be an interesting bottom half there for sure. But uh, unfortunately, it doesn't matter because the ego is just going <laughs> to destroy everyone. Yeah. So 
Yeah. There's always that reality. Yeah. yeah. It would it would be kind of sad if Iga's run does come to an end in the French Open final. I kind of if she's going to lose this tournament, I'd almost rather it be the semi or something like that. Like what is she she uh, to 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 say Dasher or or Keys or someone like that who just play the match of their life. Where if the title isn't on the line, then you don't feel quite so bad about it. Because uh, I'm reminded of uh, Djokovic's 2011 run. I think he lost in the French Open semi there. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you're not close enough to the title that you can almost smell it, sort of thing. So it would feel less bad, I think, if Iga lost there. But I don't see anyone challenging her in the form she's in just yet. Uh, would do you guys think that Iga would even drop a set going forward in the tournament, or I think it wouldn't surprise me if she does. I mean, it depends on if Pegula, for example, can sustain her form, and then like uh, like I said, I think uh, Kazakin is playing very well this tournament, and she's quite a decent clay court player. So it wouldn't surprise me if she's able to pose a bit of a challenge. But uh, so I I reckon. I reckon Sviatek drops. Uh, is at risk of dropping a set this tournament. Yeah, I'd say it's uh, more likely than it was at the start, in my opinion. Uh, given that Iga has had that hiccup against Kovinich, and uh, I think a lot of players are kind of rounding into better form. It's looking like Iga's going to have, uh, you know, even if it wasn't like Halep, I uh, like. If it wasn't the specific players we thought were going to compete with Iga, I think there's still going to be some obstacles for her in the draw. I wouldn't be surprised if she, if she drops a set either, but I do think she, if she does drop a set, it will be in the final. And I think it will be the second set, but I think she's going to win the whole tournament. Yeah, I, I mean, I, at the I, beginning of the tournament, uh, Iga was slated to win the tournament by Vegas, like more likely to win than not win. Which is <laughs> insane Vegas odds. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Uh, what I think I was going to say was something along the lines of, I do think that this winning streak is maybe weighing on her a bit more than she's letting on. So as it comes closer and closer to the final, I'd worry that she not crack per se, but just sort of start to feel the strain of it. So... Yeah, I'm wondering if she's going to be a bit vulnerable towards the end. But my pre-tournament prediction, I think, was either she loses early or she wins the thing. So she hasn't lost early, so on those grounds, she's going to win the thing. I mean, she hasn't shown any sign of slowing down yet, so... Uh, my prediction is that she just keeps up her robotic winning. Just super in the zone unable to be beaten appearance yeah I think she just keeps that for the rest of the tournament doesn't drop a set that's my prediction okay so I guess that covers the men's and women's singles main draws for Roland Garros as well as the juniors uh, did you want to talk about the Wimbledon situation with uh, Russia and the ATP real quick yeah so my thoughts on that are possibly a little bit controversial for our tennis uh, I'm not saying that I don't want to say that Wimbledon did the right thing to start with. But what I do want to say is that 
the thing which I regret most about all of this is how like divided it's made the tennis world in the face of what, what really should be a united front. So the thing I regret therefore is if Wimbledon had made this decision or if uh, rather than it just being them, if it had been say the entirety of the tennis world reached a decision uh, together, that would have been preferable than what we've got at the moment where on the one hand we have like uh, the Wimbledon and the LTA organisers are sort of obliged to, to at least a large extent, to follow UK government's guidance, whatever the wisdom or not of that guidance may be. They're sort of obliged to follow it, but they're obliged to follow it on their own, and that makes them isolated. And then, of course, the WTA, ATP, ITF, they've decided to stand up somewhat for their players by, by removing ranking points uh, and, uh, and trying to therefore, uh, you know, emphasise to Wimbledon that it shouldn't have acted in this way. And then Wimbledon is threatening legal action back, and that's precisely the kind of division that we really shouldn't be aiming for. Like maybe the correct thing was either all tournaments ban Russian players altogether, or none of them do. But certainly one of them doing so, and then provoking counteractions and, and countermeasures, it just it it really is an an unpleasant picture because it's division in the face where it, it, you get what I'm trying to say. I think it's mm -hmm. it's precisely it, it's the sort of thing precisely which plays into Russian or Putin's hands. Yeah, I feel like the the sentiment that it should be a united front is shared not just among fans of tennis but also tennis players as a whole. I remember yeah. seeing like interviews from like Iga saying that she wishes that they, everyone could just agree on one solution and just stick to it instead of all the drama that's happening. And yeah. it's a shame, especially for people that would ha have had rating points at Wimbledon to just lose those. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, in my opinion, I think that they should, Russian players should be able to play. But a united front would be better than the current situation, even if Russian players are not allowed to play. Yeah, I mean, they're I not really the only... losing their points, because, I mean, they will lose them every year, no matter what. Uh, I, I think, like, Fusevich was mad because he made the quarters, and he's like, oh, you know, my ranking's going to drop. But uh, I, I really, I think most people can agree that Fusevich was never going to make the, the quarters again anyway. I mean, he's been dreadful this year. He's barely won a match, so... Uh, obviously, a tough pill to swallow for Fusevich. He doesn't have the chance to defend his points, but uh, he was his ranking was propped up so hard on that one run that uh, he wasn't really able to replicate throughout the whole rest of the year. And then I think as far as the players go, I think you've kind of gotten a wide range of comments. You've kind of gotten Iga, who, uh, as you said, just wanted more kind of a united front. And then Rafa, uh, who just said, you know, I don't care anyway. It doesn't really matter. And then other players have also kind of you know stood up for the Russian players being able to play in Wimbledon uh, so I think obviously most of them probably uh, were more along those lines because that's the decision that they reached with the, the players council being consulted beforehand so I, I think most 
players probably were erring towards uh, wanting to protect the Russian players. But yeah, it's, it's definitely not a great look for uh, the outside, and there isn't, there isn't really a perfect solution. Uh, mm -hmm. I think probably the easiest one would have just been to allow the Russian players to play. Yeah, probably. Um, I think the other problem is, it seems from both sides, the entire, like, the shape of the decision has been what protects the biggest stars or what what impact would the biggest stars winning have? So as I understand it, one of, like, the, the key ideas behind Wimbledon's decision in the first place was, you know, what if Rublev or Medvedev or Kazakina or... Um, uh, any of the Russian or Belarusians uh, win the title and then some member of the royal family has to hand over the trophy and it's a big propaganda and I'm not disputing that analysis and likewise it's a shame that uh, various people like uh, heck even Djokovic who's supportive of the decision is going to lose his number one ranking right because so, he loses all of his points but the point I suppose I'm building up to is that thinking so much about what happens to the the bigger names strikes me as just losing perspective because of what, what about all of the smaller players. So just to bring it back to junior girls tennis again, this is where I'm building up to. There is a uh, one of the one of the players who made it into the qualifying uh, for Wimbledon by virtue of winning a wild card. They won the British under-18 and under-16 national championships this year, is Mimi Zhu. And she's only 14, and she's still just starting out in her professional career. But she's definitely got quite a bit of potential. And it wouldn't surprise me if she had managed to win a qualifying match or two. Now, at that level where she is, she's like, a, you know, a thousand and fiftieth in the world or something right now then the number of points you get for winning just the first qualifying match is, is enough to propel her into like the top 8 or 900 or something like that. And then imagine if she qualifies altogether, that she makes it to 700. That, that affects her entire career trajectory because then she'd be able to enter the ITF W15s and W25s as a, a main draw or as qualifying as opposed to having to rely on wildcards gives her more confidence, more experience, and so on and so forth. She's not going to get any of that. Instead, I mean, she can still get the wins, but she doesn't get the ranking to go with it, potentially. Uh, mm -hmm. Or to put it uh, as a, as a real-world example, um, imagine you were the 338th-ranked player in the world, and you get given a wild card into Wimbledon, and you make the fourth round and that lifts you into the ability to qualify by ranking for the US Open. I mean, that doesn't happen either in a scenario where there are no ranking points for Wimbledon. <laughs> Not that that story has happened at all. <laughs> but you just think of the difference it makes to the smaller players but they don't get ranking points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't thought about it from that perspective before, like the youth players just not having an opportunity like yeah. grand slams are a great place to make a name for yourself and I, that just won't happen to the same extent without the rating points so hmm. that that's an excellent point yeah i mean i'm not saying that the decision should be based on what happens to the young british stars whose uh whose wildcard opportunities are somewhat devalued but uh 
it's it's yeah uh, uh, even uh, there are plenty of players who would have made like decent ranking jumps lower down the pecking order move from outside to inside the top 200 move from outside to inside the top 100 or so on uh, it makes huge differences to their careers and that's taken away uh, for for a tournament at least and and it it, it makes you uh, question the entire well the wisdom of the entire saga I don't entirely blame the ATP WTA and ITF for wanting to stand up for their players because at the other end of the scale you have all of the people all of the junior Russians and Belarusians who are completely blameless for all of this mm. uh, who are being denied opportunities even to play uh, Mira Andreeva I mentioned she's a just turned 15 one of the top junior players in the world I've waxed lyrical about her I reckon she makes the semis this week at least she's not playing at Wimbledon she's not playing at any of those tournaments she's not allowed to what's a 15 year old girl got to do with war in Ukraine it's very hard to uh, support decisions which affect people at that age of that sort of lack of involvement Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing uh, with like the decision that Wimbledon made is, uh, you know, if you go back around 20 years, you know, they never banned Pete Sampras or Andre Agassi uh, when we invaded Iraq. Well, and uh, well, yeah, well, that part China of the argument, I, well, that part of the argument, I'm not entirely sympathetic with, because uh, uh, the given that the UK supported the US in that, whatever the wisdom or not of that decision was, there's no yeah. way that Wimbledon would... It, it, it's a completely different situation because there's no pressure from the government in that regard. Like, maybe maybe sporting bodies should, in general, be taking firmer action to impose uh, uh, sensible political stances. But certainly they can't be blamed if they were themselves preferring not to, but were being pressured by the government to do so. So, in that sense, I'm not entirely convinced that the Iraq war comparison is that helpful in understanding. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, well, even now with uh, China's genocide of the Uyghurs, uh, they have not, you know, taken action on them either. So. Uh, yeah, but, obviously, the WTA has been much better than anyone else in yeah. in terms of this. But I, I think what the WTA has done in terms of, you know, just kind of economically sanctioning them almost, just kind of pulling tournaments out, but still allowing players to compete, I think uh, that's the most sensible response to something like that. Yeah, I think that's the best balance, yeah. All the same, one thing I would say which maybe gets lost in the, this a little bit is but generally speaking, the purpose of sanctions is you're trying to hurt the people who aren't directly involved in the hopes that they put pressure on the people who are because it's harder to it's harder to impact people like putin with any kind of economic sanction measures he he's he's shielded it from from it even if you freeze his assets overseas there's no way he doesn't have billions of uh of dollars uh worth of money inside russia which is completely untouchable so sanctions do have to put pressure on 
to an extent the innocent mm -hmm. um, but this is what I guess I mean about a united front like firstly a sanction is more or less ineffective if only one person is doing it this is why for example that was so important for the EU, US and UK and goodness only knows how many other countries it was to come together and agree to take action on say banking access and what have you but if only one country was doing it it would mean NAFL it's not necessarily to say that it's the right thing to do or not but if only the UK is taking action in a very limited series of tournaments then the only thing it does is make the UK isolated in this regard it doesn't really put pressure on Russian players they lose a couple of opportunities whether that was the right thing or not is irrelevant at this point they have plenty of others you're not really achieving anything all you've done is make the world divided in the face where it should be united yeah i think you made a, a good point earlier with it kind of being a not just an issue with sanctions but also like a pr issue where they don't want to have an image of the queen giving out the wimbledon or like a royal family member giving out a, the championships trophy to like Medvedev or Rublev or something because that would just play right into the Russian's hand so yeah. I guess from that standpoint it is understandable from the British government the choice that they're making to pressure Wimbledon into doing this uh, but I do believe that there could have been better options than that like just to not to, to dissociate the government from uh, the tournament for this year well, I mean, even a better option might have been for the UK government itself to make the decision, because the WTA and ATP can hardly complain, quote-unquote, if it's some sort of new law introduced which bans Russian players from entering the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, such a law I wouldn't support. I just want to make that clear. But... Um, all the same, if that were the case, then the tennis bodies are... Like, Wimbledon can lodge a sort of a weak protest, but it can't be held responsible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so even in that regard, there were better options. And to an extent, by fobbing it off onto Wimbledon, one sort of... It's yet another reason I can think of to criticise the current government. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but no, I, I think uh, the point I... The, the, the line I said earlier about how sanctions inevitably affect the innocent and to an extent that's kind of their point is 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 worth remembering I think in all of this because it's the, the fact that most tennis players aren't involved at all in this isn't kind of uh, such a big issue I don't, I don't think it, the question of whether it's right or not is not are they not involved? But does it put pressure on the Russian government in any way? That's always the question you're asking when imposing sanctions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the issue with this is I don't really know how much pressure it will be putting because, I mean, I don't really know if people are going to be... Obviously, Medvedev uh, and other tennis players are pretty beloved there, but uh, I don't really think that's going to be something that would move the needle at all. So I, I guess you could kind of question the efficacy of yeah, probably that. Not. Yeah. Still, there are places where it would make a difference. Like, in chess, at least, it would hurt. I mean, to an extent, it already has. Yep. 
because that's such a like a part of the Russian national identity. So, but Russian players have been largely excluded from quite a few major chess tournaments is is quite significant. But there again, one of the things which defined it was a relatively united front, which sort of brings me back to the same point. Wimbledon acting alone in this is the biggest crime. Mm-hmm. The biggest failure. Like Maybe it shouldn't have done it, but if this were to be done, then everyone should have done it. And everyone should have agreed to it. Um, yeah, I concur. That's going to lose so a I, few fans, I think, because <laughs> I'm not sure tennis agrees. Uh, the tennis sub agrees with that take much on this, but I can understand why, from from the tennis world point of view, it's it's very sad what's happening. Yeah, especially uh, a lot of the Russian players are, you know, pretty popular and well liked on by a lot of tennis fans. I especially, uh, you know, Medvedev and Rublev have pretty pretty big followings and big personalities and seem like you know just great all-around guys so uh big losses there so it makes sense a lot of people would oppose uh such a ban but i guess also how would you say people are taking it just like uh normal people in who don't necessarily follow tennis in the uk because i mean as far as here in the states no one cares about tennis at all you know we just have each other in the internet to uh, see what people think about tennis and obviously the internet isn't always well representative of the real world so I guess uh, what has the reaction been in the UK would you say? Well my understanding is that the decision is at the very least not that unpopular uh, I think um, even there was probably more anger or frustration when the various tennis organising bodies sanctioned Wimbledon than there was for the decision to ban Russian players. Again, I don't want to uh, say which person is right in this or not, but I do think that I would say that the tennis sub or, or tennis fans in general are viewing it through the prism of what benefits the world of tennis, and understandably they want to see the best players play where possible, and that includes the Russian ones, and they're not, uh, not at all surprised then that they're upset that they're being banned from one of the most important competitions in the world still uh, but I think the general but the impression I get is that the general public is uh, at, at the very least ambivalent about this and not up in arms uh, protesting the Wimbledon decision I'm not 100% sure on that but I, I, that's my impression so, like, would you say that most people in uh, Great Britain would be following the same ideals as the government is, like, just trying to cause as much damage to Russia as possible in hopes that they stop the invasion? Yes, I think um, to to segue into British politics in general... Yes, I just had a look at a poll, by the way. So uh, a snap poll which followed shortly after suggested that there was about 70% support for Wimbledon's decision compared to only 20% against or so. And then a few don't know, which explains it, not 100%. Um, uh, but I think in terms of your question, there's a lot of anti-Putinist sentiment and I think it's helped, uh, maybe even anti-Russian sentiment in the UK. So decisions which help to put pressure on that and 
in particular I would guess decisions which help portray this not totally wrong view of the UK as one of the leading players in trying to put pressure on Russia that's probably quite important to a to, to the public at large. Yeah, I would say here in the States, it's probably very similar. There's a huge anti-Russia sentiment. And uh, I would assume that did anyone actually care enough about tennis to know of the decision? Probably most people would be supportive of, you know, just like anything in passing. If they hear, oh, this would hurt Russia in any way, they'd just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that we have to do that. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I could see that being pretty popular here as well mm. yeah I think we're not necessarily saying it's correct we're just saying that maybe tennis players are tennis fans rather are uh, looking at it from a, a, a narrower but not necessarily wrong perspective <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean as a big Medvedev fan I'm, I'm, I'm pretty biased towards uh, yeah. not liking the decision but yeah. you know it is what it is I'll catch him in, in the states later. So yeah, not all of them in Cincinnati. But yeah, that that is interesting. I would assume that if a similar ha thing happened with the U.S. Open, the majority of Americans would support not allowing Russians to play, assuming that there's still the conflict uh, occurring. Well, I think in the in the U.S. you wouldn't even need a conflict. You could just ban Russians anytime <laughs> people yep. would support yeah. it. Well, Yes, well, never mind. It's a bit of a shame, but that's true. <laughs> if I, I mean, the US has unfortunate form in uh, uh, imposing restrictions on foreign nationals at times of war, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they don't have a great track record of yeah. doing the right thing. I think I need yeah. to be careful because in the UK, technically, we had similar. So. During, I think it's World War Two as well. There were most Italian nationals were, um, and probably also most German nationals were uh, carted off to the Isle of Man and put in various internment camps, which I don't think were necessarily that bad conditions in one point. But all the same, you're depriving people of freedom by association. So I'm not mm -hmm. wanting to defend it at all. These sorts of things do. When restrictions go that far, it puts a stain, I think, on the national park. Yeah, well, the U.S. and the U.K. are, you know, definitely two of the major players in taking away human rights throughout the last couple hundred years. So they've always got that going for them. A great tag and, team. And defending them at the same time. Yeah. Playing oh. both sides. <laughs> yeah, the, the, hypo the hypocrisy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Still back to the tennis. I'm sure Wimbledon is going to be interesting all the same. Yeah, uh, I, most, I'm still looking forward to it. Yeah, Most players, I think, will be still motivated by the fact that it's one of the most prestigious uh, tournaments in the world. It probably is the most prestigious tournament in the world. I mean, and yeah, I mean, the, the prize money is still there, so... Yeah. Mm -hmm. And despite not being not having rating points, it's still a good way to get your name out there if you're yeah. not like a well-known player. So you could get like sponsorships and whatnot mm. uh, for the for those who don't have them. Advertisements. Yeah. yeah so even that that uh, young English uh, young I think actually she's Welsh. Young British girl, she makes it through to the main draw. That will still be huge, even if she doesn't get the ranking mm -hmm. points to back it up. 
what is it, like 80,000, some stupid amount of, uh, large amount of money for making the first round. Yeah. That would be, that would be like, uh, uh, massive, uh, for her. Yeah, yeah and like, plus the I know Cam Nori, Cam Nori mentioned that he didn't think a lot of the top players would play, but, uh, I really don't see how that would be the case. I mean, well, you don't want I, to turn down that opportunity to earn all that money. And all the same, I'm personally worry, so. hoping that. All the same, I'm personally hoping that uh, uh, quite a few top players skip it so that Murray Goat gets his uh, third. <laughs> oh yeah, he has I'm here to. for that. I'm here for that. Yeah. I think. Uh, just going back to the French Open, though, it's like Alcaraz is serving for five, three, and third. So. All right, yeah. yeah he, uh, he's looks like our prediction was right. So, yeah. <laughs> easiest on, prediction ever. Yeah. <laughs> on that so, note, yeah, I, I guess do believe that we're at our time limit. Uh, do you guys have anything else to to share before we uh, take it out? Uh, I suppose the thing about following junior tennis is that uh, I've cast quite a wide net so there's plenty of the players who I've mentioned who probably won't quite live up to the potential I think they do have but it's ex when you have so many people you can follow you can in there's bound to be at least one here before they great success but it's exciting all the same watching all of their different progressions and I think that's the the wonderful thing about sport, right? It's um, it's mostly uh, al almost all the time it's unpredictable. Mhm. Mm yeah, and it's great to watch people develop and just become a, a better player overall. Anything yeah, I just wanted to give a huge shout out to Jim for coming on and dropping some knowledge about junior tennis and uh, giving a pretty great detailed breakdown of the girls French Open singles draw and uh, yeah I guess we'll just leave it at that so yeah. from Jim360 as well as Logan and Jan from Friday Therapy Podcast uh, we're going to sign off have a great day peace